Hey gang, welcome to episode 178 of the No Persinium podcast, the voice of everything immersive. I'm Noah Nelson coming to you from No Pro headquarters in Los Angeles. This week on the show, we have Samantha Gorman, who is the co-founder of Tender Claws, which is a VR and AR uh, studio here in LA. Uh, You might know them as uh, the makers of virtual virtual reality, which is just one of the best things you can get in virtual reality, full stop. Um, Definitely one of the best things uh, on the home market. It's it's up there. It's up there in terms of cleverness and and using the medium properly uh, the way that Beat Saber is, but in a totally different way. Uh, They've got a new AR app that's out on the Google Play store for Android called Tendar. And uh, it's like uh, uh, Tamagotchi gone, gone uh, AR, but gone totally weird. this company has an amazing sense of humor at the core of it, and we're going to be talking about uh, the way they approach storytelling in uh, using digital tools. Uh, so we're going to get into a lot of that uh, in a bit here. But first, let's uh, let's make a few rounds of of what's going on in our world. This is the end of the year. Um, this is the last of our regular podcasts. Um, we will have some kind of special podcast next week. It could very well involve uh, a live stream um, if we decide to do it one way. Uh, it could also involve uh, just coming out on Saturday as opposed to coming out on Friday because uh, uh, it's time for a break. The Jedi too must rest. Um, but we're going to have a special episode next week uh, that should involve uh, Anthony and Catherine and my myself, um, which we're going to be recording next Friday, and one of our patented After Darks. And that's what's going to be next week's episode, and that'll be sort of our, our farewell to 2018. And a little bit of our look ahead at 2019. And then uh, the following week, we're going to come back with an interview with Carl Choi of The Great Co. Uh, and uh, then on January 5th, we're going to do our first ever live taping of the show in front of a studio audience, uh, No Pro Live, which is going to be at Two Bit Circus in Los Angeles. Our guests are going to include Eric Gradman of Two Bit Circus, Lauren Ludwig of Capital W, Josh Randall of Two Bit Circus and Blackout, and other special guests and some surprises. Uh, and we're gonna, you know, totally make up that show in the next week and a half. Um, we were just like, oh, we want to do something special, and then it's like, oh, well, there's no time to do something special. Um, that's that's the nature of the beast. Uh, but no, it's it's going to be it's going to be a special show. How much of it we wind up uh, scripting? Uh, probably very little. But uh, after the show, there's going to be an everything immersive meetup there at Two Bit Circus. So that's going to be two o'clock at Two Bit Circus in Los Angeles on January fifth. Uh, and the meetup we're going to roll into, and so we'll be we'll be there till about five. But the podcast should go eh, about an hour, give or take. You know, who knows? We always wing this thing, right? Um, uh, Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society is going to be there to do the music live. So this is going to be uh, this, this is an experiment for us. And I'm and and if I think about it, I get excited. There's just so much else going on that I'm like, oh right, we're doing that too. Um, so that's a pretty big deal. Uh, it's going to be the fifth anniversary of No Persinium. Uh, I've mentioned this before many times. Um, 
you can RSVP for it on Facebook, apparently, but people are having trouble with it. Uh, it's listed as public when I when I go in and try and set it, um, and a bunch of people have 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 uh, RSVP'd for it, but then um, other people are telling me they're having a hard time seeing it. Some, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff going on with Facebook these days, and it's not just all the things that are coming out in congressional hearings. Um, there's just, you know, it's broken. It's Facebook's broken right now in like every way. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, man, like fix your stuff. Um, there's a chance that what we might do is, uh, it's, it's free, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll put an event right up and just tell everybody, Hey, you know, grab, grab an event by ticket or something like that for free. Uh, that or I'll talk to two bit and say like, you know, what kind of thing I'll talk to Josh. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out to make sure about, about, you know, if it's a hundred people, about 50 people so far have said they're going. So, you know, I don't think we're really going to have a problem. Um, and you know, worst case scenario, uh, you, you, you go play a game for an hour. And then once we open up and start, you know, doing the, the, the meetup where we'll just be meeting and mingling and going in and out. So it'll be fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. Okay. Uh, what else is up? Uh, Gosh, uh, it's uh, everything immersive this year just went up on the website. Uh, Catherine put that together, uh, kind of doing a, a highlight reel of, uh, of what's been going on there. Um, there. <laughs> I never go to the website myself. I just sit here in the podcast booth every week waiting for things to start. Um, I don't even know what what voice that is. We've got uh, there's there's some infographics going on and kind of a, a breakdown month by month of what the highlights were. Uh, this this is all from from Catherine's uh, take and what we had going on in the everything immersive this week. So we'll go over that a bit in next week's podcast as well. And there's just there's it's been a busy busy year. Just so you know. Um, We've got we've had 723 immersive experiences are logged in our database, and we sent out 93 newsletters this year, including the North American, um, which was like the bulk of them. Issue 41 went out this morning. It just had one thing in it, but it was something in Hawaii. So I was like, yeah, let's put it out. Let's put it out. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, um, we're tired. <laughs> Very, very tired. Uh, and so this is going to be a nice uh, rest, uh, a nice week of rest for us as we gear up for what's going to be a rather busy and exciting 2019. Uh, more on that next week. Okay, uh, the Patreon. Uh, we're still just under 1250 again. <laughs> But we have had a number of people jump in and they've jumped into the $5 level. And and like I said, everyone, you know, just like the one or the $5 level, like that's it. Because when we lose a $20 pledge, then like it's like losing four people or, or 20 people, really. So please uh, be cheap. Join, but be cheap. I'm not I'm looking for big cash from everybody, but uh, we could we could really make a, a thing here. So the latest people to join up are Mark Denine, Nolan Treadway. Hey, Nolan, uh, Greg Schneider and Samuel Mustry. Um, thank you all. Uh, we, we are, um, like $8 under 1250. Uh, so that's like two $5 backers or even better eight $1 backers. I am dead serious about this $1 thing. Patreon.com slash no proscenium. Cause you don't feel the dollar. You're just like, Oh yeah, whatever a dollar. It's nothing. Seriously. Just a dollar. Uh, 
The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Thank you all for being the spine upon which this venture rests. Okay. Um, Tenderclaws, Samantha Gorman. I first saw uh, Tenderclaw's work, uh, Virtual Virtual Reality, at a VRLA a few years ago, uh, back when the Google Daydream was like making its debut run, and Virtual Virtual Reality was one of the first launch things for that. And uh, someone someone told me it's like so like you know it's VR but like then you're in VR like they put you in VR in VR and I was like oh god Meta really ugh not that that's like the the first stop of someone who's run out of ideas usually um it's a very attractive pr- proposition because when it's done well it's amazing. But it's not the idea of going meta that automatically makes something cool. No, no, no. Going meta is a sign that you're willing to take on something very hard, which is you need to do the thing and comment on the thing at the same time. It's like walking and chewing gum. Wait, no, I'm good at that. Wait. Am I? No. You know what I'm trying to say? Like, you know, patting your head while rubbing your belly, that kind of thing. That's what I was thinking of. Um, Or walking and chewing gum at the same time. Come on. You know, it's the old insult. So I very reluctantly put the daydream on and was so happy when I saw that they nailed it because they nailed it. Virtual virtual reality is fantastic. It was like the first thing I bought when I got my Oculus Go. It's probably the thing I've spent the most time in the Oculus Go on. Um, (coughs) Anything that this studio does always gets my attention, and Tendar is no different. Um, I'm an iOS person. I do have access to an Android phone these days uh, for like work purposes. (coughs) So I I slid Tendar on there, and I haven't had... uh, time beyond the time I had in their studio to play with it. But already just from the start, it is a super charming. Um, it's, it's this, it's, it's a Tamagotchi type scenario, but it's, it's, it's all about reading faces and emotions. And so like, you're like, looking you're like scanning your own face and scanning other people's faces in order to like get emotion flakes for your for your tendar goldfish and then there's this month-long story that that kind of breaks out as you know you and the fish start communicating it's just like what i love about their stuff is when i start explaining it it sounds like i've gone insane and that is my absolute favorite kind of media full stop so if you're the kind of person who loves uh like i almost want to say like imagine that like a very playful version of like grant morrison and uh daniel uh oh, i can't remember his last name the, the, the house of leaves guy and uh just just like I don't know, like just that, but, but done by the people who do like Brooklyn nine, nine and the good place. Yeah, there you go. That's the vibe. 
I think that's the vibe. That's that's how I want to describe it because I'm just describing my favorite things. Uh, and that's Tender Claws. So here we go, a conversation with Samantha Gorman, who is the co-founder along with Denny Canizaro. Let's roll the tape. So a second ago, by the way, hi, Samantha. Thanks for letting me come over. <laughs> yeah, no, thanks for uh, being here and talking. Yeah. Um, a second ago, I was playing with Tendar. Is that how you say yes. it? Yes. Tendar? Okay, got it right. Um, which is... Y'all make such weird stuff. And I say this in like with, with great love because, <laughs> because virtual virtual reality is maybe the best thing you can do with an at-home VR set because it doesn't take itself seriously at all uh, and gets you into a trippy metaphysical state all at the same time. And this this app, which um, is is on the Google Play Store right now, yes. right? Um. This is like, what if you could feed your Tamagotchi emotions is like the best way I could describe <laughs> it, right? It, um, what is this thing that I was just playing? <laughs> yeah, um, it's a interesting. It's, I guess, essentially a great many things. Um, but in the core of it, it's, and a, you know, the log line is that it's a virtual pet that you feed different emotions and it evolves over time. Of course, it's actually also a... Uh, a speculative fiction and a, a satire comedy about a company, um, as some of our you know recent work has been, and it's actually a company that's very close to things that are going on in uh, current time frame. Um, you know, uh, things that are uh, popping up to look at different biometrics or different you know emotions and how does that play into um, predicting behavior or deciding what we want to consume. Um, and in this case, the guppy or Tamagotchi is based on a decent uh, number of months of AI research that I did in terms of uh, neural networks and how neural mm. networks work and process these data, um, how you can show like large data sets of emotion and kind of how you, through tweaking that over time, you uh, educate them to make their own decisions. And um, the company essentially has, in this speculative fiction world, which is a very close tied to the real world um, instead of, you know, these different processes and for analyzing emotion and sending it through the cloud, they have uh, a rows and rows of server tanks full of these biosentient uh, goldfish that swim up and down and left and right, depending on what emotion they're sensing from the different like flashes of user selfies coming through. Um, so there's like a, and there's actually an about page in the app that you can read about the company's philosophy and you know, how it was started by his plastic surgeon. Um, <laughs> and yeah. Like this is, this is what I love. Like, what I love about the body of work y'all are, are, are coming up with is that you're making software that does all the things that you're commenting on and at the same time, like you're in, you're in total conversation with what the limits of the technology mm -hmm. is, right? So in virtual virtual reality, you're, you're serving AIs by going into VR and doing like menial tasks mm -hmm. for them because they enjoy watching humans do that or, or something <laughs> along those lines. And then in this one, 
it's it's this meditation on the way all of our data is constantly being harvested in these increasingly kind of scary ways. Um, and yet there's, I don't want to, it feels weird to say, there's this whimsy, but like you're making fun of it and it's, and you're managing to be like incredibly, incredibly funny and just pointing out the absurdities of it. But it only works because it's also actually doing the thing at the same time. Right. Like, like how does, where's the chicken and the egg here? Yeah. So there's a lot of, um, a lot to unpack, I guess, in that question. Yeah. And yeah. Well, there's a lot to unpack in your work. <laughs> I guess the, the first thing I would say is that we, uh, Danny and I, you know, met and we worked together, um, primarily, I can maybe say a little bit of our background, but I'm coming from a background in studying both in undergrad and grad, and uh, now I'm completing a PhD in um, interactive media at USC, but in writing for digital um, media and in theater for digital media. Um, Danny is coming from a background in um, painting, then animation, then motion graphics, and now um, you know interactive media. And uh, because of the the artistic context we were brought up in, um, we met in undergrad and we've been collaborating for about 13 years now, Hmm. is very much focused on conceptual art. And in part of attention to conceptual art is also attention to form and concept. So a lot of our work still to this day marries, um, you know, the, the content and the form of the work are very closely intertwined. Um, and then the other thing about a lot of our projects, I feel this is the case of VVR in some ways, Tendar as well. Um, I began working in VR in 2000 and about, let's see, 2002, 2003 in like a cave research lab for, Mm. um, a humanities in VR. And then I stayed there for about, you know, eight years, Um, so I, you know, this is an area that I've worked in for some time. For those who don't know, cause like cave VR was sort of, that sort of predates the stuff we have right now. I'm also going to do something. I'm like, adjust your mic just a little bit and get it off to the side. We're getting some plosives there. Um, uh, so if if you could explain the difference between a cave VR system and what people, well, what people might like get, you know, Mm -hmm. Virtual virtual reality on which would be your your Oculus goes and your your everything yeah, else. Of course. Yeah. Um. So what you currently get, um, the headsets are called HMDs, head mounted displays, and that's currently what you associated with what you associate with VR. Um, cave technology is uh, it it's also a VR technology, and um, it's a, sorry a different type of VR where in this case a lot of these early systems existed at different research institutions. And this one was at Brown university and it's a room, um, that often has diff, uh, it can be six sided or four sided different screens and the images are back projected in stereo. And then, um, in the case of Brown, you have a one person has glasses that are tied to that, um, are kind of, uh, trapped. So their headspace as they're moving, um, the graphics are drawn to their perspective and the glasses are flickering so fast that they're seeing 3D. So the, the images coming from the walls become 3D in front of them. 
But you, because these are lightweight glasses, you're sitting there with a bunch of friends. So it's a very different social-like dynamic and experience than the HMDs that we um, most currently are using today. Um, however, it's super interesting because the other people are also seeing 3D, but it's like the, it's not necessarily doesn't move with their perspective. Right. So they're all kind of crowded up intimately close to like, you know, the person at the main glasses, which is a really funny, you know, um, dynamic on its own. Um, and there's a whole, I think, host of things to say about that technology and the time that I spent working in it and how my thoughts on it and some of the projects changed over time, but also remain the same. Um, this is a conversation that we may have uh, later, but one of the project I started there with was a dance piece, and the project I ended there with was a dance piece. Oh, wow. um, so I'm very interested in not just uh, using it for visualization space, but using thinking about you know that as almost a theater or a theatrical or immersive space. Well, and 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 Tendar, you mentioned earlier that before mm-hmm. recording, I think that Tanya mentioned. Uh, that it uh, it started as a collaboration with a theater company, um, kind of. Yeah, at, at when, he, when it was presented at Sundance, like the, the earlier mm-hmm. version of this. Yeah, it definitely did, and that's um, Pyle. And I should actually get back to that in a second. There's yeah. a few other questions I meant that you asked before. That I meant <laughs> oh, don't worry, it's answer. gonna it don't, don't, um, don't worry about. So what I'm I was gonna fire uh, VVR is that um, I feel like it's. And I think Danny feels this way as well. It's both a love letter. There's sort of an optimism and love to working in the medium, you know, mm. for so long, but also kind of, you know, a parody and a, like a critical reflection on it. Um, and Tendar is very um, has similar parallels. However, um, it's not so much. There's elements of we're not necessarily touching too much on like the acquisition of of data um Mm. and tendar itself uses um object recognition and emotion recognition capabilities but one of the cool things about it is um and how the app starts is by telling people everything's local to their device yeah so the fiction is speculative um but the technology is actually very you know shut into this world that you want to make it in and you know that was important to us um and not to we kind of at least I definitely see my perspective as a, a cultural critic in this area of being more like nuanced and, you know, engage with the space and make things that are delightful, whimsical and entertaining. But um, through a mass culture medium, able to also make people think more about what the technology they're using is and what it means. And, um, you know, uh, it's not only that, but also... Tendor is actually a, a narrative that unfolds over a month. Um, mm. So there's a significant AR content in it. And it was done by like a room of eight uh, interactive writers over the span of five, uh, five months. Um, so it is a substantial AR piece. And there's not many, um, to my knowledge, like long form AR content yeah. pieces that are currently out there. So when you say like over months of like every, every day you come back and interact with it the the kind of world advances does it advance whether you interact with it or not it doesn't enter it doesn't advance whether you interact with it or not you have to um keep feeding guppy um there's going to be actually a large content in january that's going to um finish this uh 
arc right now he's left off somewhere in the narrative and then the company is going to come in as both a fictional and real update and like finish <laughs> off the narrative arc um as we release the large content push in january see i love it, I love um, it. It's like... so yeah he goes through he over time games language and then he starts questioning sense of self and goes through this like existential meltdown um, and there's some back and forth with the, the the parents, you know, the larger parent company and you as the user and Guppy um, are all meshed into this situation. Uh, he has essentially this like giant corpus of um, text messages he can send you through the app. And those are written. Um, there's a complex scripting language behind the the texts that come up. And those uh, depends on what emotions you feed him are the emotional state he goes through the arcs in. Um, and those... It becomes almost like a, a reflection of you or a reflection of your world. Yes. Um, there's a lot of, I think, statements about like connectivity and emotional labor, you know, with <laughs> embedded in, within this in, in you know, different ways. Um, so we wanted, and that's part of why AR is because we wanted to do AR that wasn't just tabletop, but actually took place in the world around you and interacted with was a reflection of your lived experience and you know in your lived world or at least made you aware of like the gestures of the emotions you are going through. Yeah. Um. It's interesting you said it wasn't just tabletop because I, I, you know, when when the capability first hit the the iPhone was it AR kit or is it was mm-hmm. called on the iPhone yeah like I would I would get things and start messing around with them like I got the machines I was like oh this is really nifty and pretty and like and then you know I might spend five dollars and then just walk away from it after like 10 minutes because it was it was it was a board game mm-hmm. you know or it was like fake mech battles or something or I played the Star Wars you know Dejaric because like you know well, I could do that forever but like at a certain point it's like okay I've got this little window into into a world and I'm trying to view this world through this little window and it's not really working it doesn't feel natural just spending five minutes with guppy you know this this was all the language of um you know language of a tamagotchi language of playing online mm-hmm. and 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 it's more about the little the little fishbowl that happens to be also absorbing things from the world it's in conversation with Mm -hmm. the world as as opposed to trying to like put itself just on the world and project um there's no question there but it was just an observation (laughs) i just thought like there's 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 an insight there into what ar should be Mm -hmm. as opposed to what everyone's trying to make it right that's the hope so as part of that and part of creating these experiences is part um what i'm interested in the cultural critic space isn't just commenting and the content, but like making interventions into thinking about like how we can push, you know, like innovate the form, um, through our work. Yeah. Well, and then it gets back to that, the conceptual art, you know, it's the content and the form and they're mixed together. And what can you do if, if, if you're the things you're making are pushing the form at the same time? Um, which it's just funny. I keep coming back to, like this past couple of weeks, I've I've had the luxury of of kind of engaging with a few pieces that were just good in and of themselves, and and were, were either using the affordances of of the technology mm-hmm. that they had well, or it was a nicely well worn track of technology, and so there wasn't anything to push. But instead, there was just a, a real effort to like, you know, we're just gonna tell a good story, or mm-hmm. we're just gonna make a good experience, or like I've got this idea, like. It was even even as much as like a there was a 360 video 
which something that I have no great love mm-hmm. of because it's usually not interesting. And it was, um, it was a series about design and just the way they were using 360 was, was interesting for once. It was like, Oh, yeah. someone thought about this. Like they're, they're really thinking this through and like, and it created some weird emotional effects. Like I felt, I felt anxiety <laughs> watching a couple of them or was just like completely like engrossed in the subject matter and the 360 was enhancing it. And, and it wasn't just like, ooh, look what we can do. There was a real, there was a real care about not only what the content was, but how to make the content sing inside the affordances, uh, affordances. I'm trying to get used to saying that word um, of the technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess, kind of in there in that in that initial question, that that sort of chicken and the egg. S- thing of you know where did it start did it start with knowing yeah what was the seed yeah so it um there's a component of tendar that started as a hololens hackathon project and Mm. um it actually comes from i'm gonna sorry it's the Meisner technique. I think it's the Meisner technique to the theater technique yeah. where um, there's a famous like early part of that technique is a repetition exercise Yes, where you're across from another person. There's a level of intimacy developed. And it was actually a HoloLens project with two HoloLenses um, looking at each other. And, you know, there was this, you know, going back and forth. The idea was that you would go through this theater exercise and Meisner technique and then you'd whisper. There'd be doubts, you know, what other person was really feeling whispered in one of your ears. <laughs> Oh my god. Um, oh my god. And you know, we realized that though there was some uh emotion recognition um stuff on the HoloLens that the, the you couldn't see the eyes because the other HoloLens was in the way, so you couldn't actually achieve the emotion recognition for you know, like back and oh. forth because the actual technology getting in the, the way of the face. Um but we had started and done like a, a decent prototype of that, and you know, we we're really amused and I was interested in um the concept of a, you know, I think a lot of people say, which is true, as these things get more integrated into our current uh, life and become more lightweight and are every everywhere. What type of information will they put on onto the world? And what if they could like be like, oh, you know, Bob is feeling really alienated today. You know, as, as your AR glasses, like, how would you really know that's really true? And it's, for me, there was like alignment with this theater technique of what of building intimacy in AR and what that meant and what like caused into doubt or even the idea of um, performing emotion. Yeah. And uh, so it kind of came from that. And then um, we... I don't honestly remember at all how the fish got involved, but the, <laughs> the, the fish did take a, you know, he he became really central. Obviously, um, I think then like Danny was it was it a joke on beta testing because of <sighs> beta fish? No, but that is a joke. In yeah. there is a joke involved in that yeah. in in the piece, but um, no, I I don't remember, um, and. It, it combination I think the fish got involved in a combination of like uh tender claws there's a little bit of an iterative design pro- where people sometimes just bring ideas and um we were working with um Nielsen uh, Corner Safrada which is a designer who was our first uh person that we ever worked with um for VVR 
and uh, some of the the other people like Julian um, Shepek and Zach Sweet and various other uh, our collaborators between them um, and you know Danny I think the fish yeah. came into being yeah it's just, it's a good it's a it's a good anchor like just something I mean that there's that idea I mean particularly I mean I'm a little older than Tamagotchi but that didn't mean that I didn't play with things like that um and there's something there's something sort of like the tamagotchi was sort of a generation's training for being attached to a smartphone all the time because it was this emotional relationship Mm -hmm. with a digital thing and then there's still something kind of comforting and and sort of that's what we're that's what we're looking for when we like pick up the smartphone and kind of tap around and scroll through Instagram or anything We're we're looking for, we're looking for those emotional flakes, mm-hmm. right? We're looking for that little bit of yeah. a little bit of dopamine to like get me through. And, and I will find it sometimes I will, I will just be going along, going along. And it's like, Oh, oh that was what I needed. I was looking for, for, for that little bit of information or like a silly video or just something that just makes me happy enough temporarily to go and do the thing that I got to do that I really don't want to do. And that's, I feel like that's our entire society right now, like in a nutshell. Right. And so you've condensed it down to where like an immersion blender, like squishes emotions down into like blobs that you then feed a fake fish. And then like, it's just, how the hell, like, how does A become B? I mean, I know it's the worst thing. It's like, how do you get the ideas? But like, like, is it, is it, is it just back and forth, like crazy writer room? Like everyone's running with ideas or everyone goes and takes a page and comes back. Like there's, there's, I could see it going a couple different ways. I could see it being like, you know, everyone runs off and then comes back and tells their own version of the story. Or I could see it like devise things or like, yeah, what's, What's it like in here? I, I think it really depends um, on the situation. Uh, you know, Danny and I have been working together so long, and we're kind of the more of the like central directors. Um, so I think he, the emotion flakes, like he may have said that as a joke, and then it became like an you know we like to like actualize our jokes. Yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and. Yeah, so there's a back and forth process definitely between the two of us, um, and there's it's so because there's so many different components of this piece. So the direct part of it that I oversaw, which is even so we have like a core group of people working on the project here, but then outside of that we have a separate writers room, mm. uh, interactive writers room that I you know oversaw with um, Joe Weichert, who's a uh, playwright that. Um, did a lot of the writing for Tendar and I find actually it's also Joe's super brilliant um but I have this feeling that playwrights may be natively predisposed for writing for you know digital media immersive media because of the way they think about staging Mm. and like their spatial relationship to writing um although we do like with uh a lot of the people who write uh, for these projects are amazing, like poets or fiction writers that, you know, I went to my MFA with and um, they're just really imaginative. But I think that if you, and they have experience too, you know, writing a little bit off the page. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, I'm super interested right now in like the little bit of the overlap between playwrights and, and writing for the space. Could you riff on that a little bit? Because I mean, that's something I'm really, I mean, I've always run with the theory on the VR that it was always going to be the theater people who kind of understood the language because we're talking about, mm-hmm. we're talking about bodies in space and like characters or even audiences relating to material in space. Yeah, I think that's where I feel like thinking about design thinking and thinking about the audience and how they experience something is, for me as a writer, feels like there's a kind of a different paradigm or expectations uh, set up. Um, I and willingness to maybe there's a kind of an element of liveness of theater and the unexpected where you know that you can have a script but expectation that things can will or might go off script Mm. so that there's a flexibility built around that um but i mean i haven't i've been thinking uh part of my dissertation is i'm you know thinking about these things right now and and just starting to really think you know crystallize these thoughts but i mean when you said that what flashed for me was you know, the rule in screenwriting that it's, you know, a minute a page, mm-hmm. right? But the same is not true at all of... No, it's completely not. In each of our projects, we write, you know, with the form and against the form. And um, for instance, if we're working with a writer who has an agent, like, it's impossible. They were like, okay, well, let's say this is a page and this is the usual rate. And it's like, it's impossible to verify those you know, the time, because it doesn't add up. It could be a lot more, or a lot less, and you, right. you don't know because of the way that if it's written, you know, for the form and successful in that, it's difficult. Um, well, and even, I'm, I'm even thinking about, like, reading, depending on which actors you have, reading a text or, or just how someone wants to go about, you know. Yeah. I mean, to be or not to be can be done almost in a single breath, or it can take for freaking ever if someone wanted it to. And, and, and that sort of quality often defines a show like the pace, like a, a, a play, mm-hmm. a, an instance of a play, a production of a play is almost, almost all of it's about, not almost all of it's about, but so much of it winds up being about the pace. Like how are we approaching the text and in interactive theater or in, or in AR and VR like that how long the user takes mm-hmm. to absorb and move things on. That's the same kind of rhythm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's super interesting um, because you have those, a different paradigm and different thought, a way of thinking about writing to approach when you're, you're bringing writers who are more traditionally um, associated with the page onto these projects. But then you have in our case, um, we also partnered with uh, Daniel Howe, who is um, a brilliant uh, programmer who does a lot of generative writing um, programs, and he helped build us a system for writers called Dialogic, which is a free and open source um, set of libraries that can help uh, writers create scripting language. And this is what, so all the chats for Guppy were written in this like pseudocode type of scripting language that also gives um, emotions like codes his movement a little bit and his emotions 
um, as well as the text that comes up. And the writers working with us had to learn how to, um, in this just very, you know, very rudimentary language, how to write in that form. And of course, that breaks the, when you're thinking about character dialogue, um, not every writer is like this, but I'm the right, like I hear, you know, I hear it and then I write it and you can't, if you're thinking too much about that, um, that transition to that form that breaks the voice of the character, you know, mm. and as you're hearing it. So it's a different um, adjustment you have to make to the writing process. Um, but we, you know, we had good at least eight core writers, if not more, um, on this project and writing for different moments of Guppy, you know, his, his, uh, trajectory. Um, we also had some writers who were specifically writing and focused on generative text so that, um, there's custom content and then there are layers of like generative content, um, for those, for those who don't know, when when you say generative content, what's mm-hmm. what's that? Um, it is content that can have lots of different it, it, lots of different outputs on execution. So mm. when when it's run, um, I guess like our particular case, you can have many different branching options of words or you know a syntax, and then. Um, what you get from um, the pattern that you're building will come out as a single sentence, but it can pull from different aspects of the larger sentence. Um, I didn't like really explain that very well, but um, there's... But I, think, but I think again, it's like it's like you know, based on what you say, like there's there's sort of a there's a directionality. You get, maybe I'm getting this backwards, but there's a directionality to where the story is going to go, but based on how you respond, it's going to. It's going to pull from a pool to sort of assemble the appropriate response. Yeah, the overall. um, And the generative text I'm talking about is more grammars, using grammars to write specific phrases Mm. so that you you never, ideally, there's a staleness too, so you don't get guppy. Even within him repeating the same, let's say you poke him in his existential phase and he's angry, that could be a variety of different responses that he gives based on context. Some are custom and then there's generative underlayers that can create um, fresh computer generated responses. So it's not just, there's a snake in my boot. There's a snake in right, my boot. Yeah. There's a, yeah. Okay, so I mean, that's I one now way of it. doing it. I mean, there's tons of different ways of like creating variation and, you know, response. But um, so we, uh, part of the, the background I come from in writing for digital media, there is plenty of, you know, writers who are experts and, you know, writing these um progr- in programmatic languages are, um, and we have, you know, access to uh, someone like Jacob Garb, who is uh, at USC specifically in, you know, algorithmic and programmatic, um, sorry, Santa Cruz and programmatic writing. And he came in and did a lot of the different, you know, guppy dialogue for X part of the project. So, yeah. So how, how big of, of a, I mean, I was going to call it a show Bible, but this isn't like, I mean, just in terms of word volume, like how big is, think of it as a script almost feels like wrong. It's almost like you've built a, uh, a vocabulary, uh, or, or a brain. Yeah. Like how, how big is Guppy's brain? It's like, if you don't count all the generative possibilities, which that would be too much. Right. Um, there was a joke and it's definitely not this long 
but Joe was sort of like the, the length of a David Foster Wallace novel. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not that long, but it is pretty long. It's I, like infinite guppy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, medium small to medium novel length. Oh wow! Of chats. That's um, that's that's intense. Like just trying to, yeah. The, the scope of what it's funny because like it's so lightweight and yet there's so much effort and in, in work into to making how how does how's the writing on this project compare to virtual virtual reality yeah it's totally different systems i think part of the nature of writing for interact media and this and a lot of people are trying to figure out what is a recipe for writing interactive characters, right? And like, yes, I mean, there can be some templates or thoughts around what it can be, but I think like there's so much richness and variety in the media forms itself that part of the job of a person who studies writing for interactive media is adaptability and being able to mold to different forms and um, understand those affordance and constraints within, you know, because those shape the writing and the writing shapes them and vice versa. Um, so this was, you know, done um, in the kind of the, the way there's more to it, but the ways we were just talking about um, VBR uh, was modular, um, mm. more in different scenes. And it started in some of the... I think there's some mind maps online. Um, and we even did that for this project too, is uh, using more of like a shape or mind map for different character, different points of, you know, the story and different how they all connect. Um, and in VVR, it's not that it was linear. It would be almost, um, there's different, so it's like a different, you know, the different scenes, different progression, but within those scenes, you know that the character, the player can do X amount of, you know, X, Y, Z. So that within the, the trick to VBR was within the dialogue, making it feel like that the characters were, even though they were very simple, very responsive to you. Um, so that you have like interruptions. Yeah. Um, well, their desires are so clear and, and, and focused. I'm always thinking about like, you know, the toast and buttering yeah right? you know like like it's absurd it really draws the attention and almost like a magic trick right it's got you focused on this thing so there's almost a there's a delight to either doing it right or wrong right that little moment of of you know trying to manage all the all the toasters yeah um for sure. yeah and butter is a good example of one of the most effective i think breakthroughs for us maybe in thinking about their writing is like responsive or interrupting was um, in Butter, he can be giving a monologue, and then if you like pick up a like go off whatever and do your own thing, pick up Frog, he suddenly stops and yells at you like, "Pay attention!" and then like you know continues from where he <laughs> left off. Um, so there's different interruption points where a series of X, Y, and Z things can be inserted um, that are feel like natural breaks in a conversation. Yeah. Um, that's and that that is that is something actually really clever because that is something that'll happen, right? You know, if someone's going off and mm -hmm. and you wander off, they will. That's I mean, maybe that's one of the things that like I always hated about uh, Half Life Two was you have these characters kind of diegetically talking, but if you were not interested, you could just wander around the room and they were just standing in a corner monologuing to someone who wasn't there, and it just 
it completely broke the reality of that of that story for me. It's like, why would that character keep on talking? Wouldn't they either tell me get back here, or like wait for me to you know finish doing whatever ridiculously absurd thing I was doing at the time because I could. Yeah. Um, and somehow that was considered better than having a cut scene, and I just did not understand yeah. that at all from a narrative perspective. Yeah, it feels like, a, I mean, in that case, like a cutscene would make more sense, but it's hard yeah. to, I think these things are like really hard to achieve, you know? Oh God, and, yeah. Um, there's, for me, I think part of it is, isn't the solution, but if part of it is the framing of like, yes, if you're looking at those people, for instance, then it should be like, maybe you can justify it, be like, oh, this is a recording or, you know, this is like an artifact of something that has happened. Um, but if it feels live in the space with you, then it's, um, how do you figure out, you know, how to make it live for the player? I mean, that, that, that game must've been what, like 12 years ago. So it was like before, before there was, probably like enough processing power on the computers to even yeah. like run something I that could be yeah. yeah but um but still that was for me that was always part of the problem with the magic trick of of, of the, that sort of thing where it's like if you're gonna give me the freedom as a as a player if you're gonna give me the freedom to walk away i want the world to respond to the fact that i walked away i think that's something that and, and that's what's interesting about VVR and, and what I've seen so far of Tendar, like there's really you're really rooted in the the response. You're rooted in the relationship of the player to the world with all these interruptions and and scanning someone's face. Um, is is that part of the ultimate like sort of artistic conceit that that you're chasing and that your team is chasing this this idea of the person's relationship to the material? Or is that just because these are the affordances you're playing with? Um, I think there's definitely elements of affordances you're playing with. Um, it's hard to say. Well, for other, it's hard to say for other people. For mm. for me, um, I am more interested in um, because my background is in the humanities. So I'm like a, a humanist. So I'm more interested in like uh, that question of like negotiate negotiating your sort of an you know an intimate intimacy with how something is responding to you and how you're responding to the world um and a lot of there's a thread through I think both these projects um in what is what is the human you know like that I am interested in I think at the core of of everything so Sort of like a with these sort of what, what does the technology or relationship to it tell us about ourselves? Yes, and also like what makes us human? Like mm. literally, like what are the defining? Can there be defining? Or what is the defining elements? Um, and what is the perception of what makes us human? Um, for instance, like in VVR, the AIs. One of the reasons they don't need you um it's almost like a kind of a massage service you know or like because what they like is they like it's gotten to a point where um it's like a gig economy for humans to um them to like have you do menial tasks for them because they like the surprise or the unpredictability (laughs) of you know like as as butter says the human touch you know um and 
there's, you know, a question there and it's not necessarily talked about in our, our relationship to AIs, but I, as Danny says, um, is it's uh, imagining a future where, where instead we're kept around as like an artisanal, like an artisanal past, you know, like the quaint handicraft of, you know, our, <laughs> what the, like what has become the, the dominant form of intelligence in the, in the world. I mean, if, if you follow AI or, 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 you know, computer aided industrial accidents the way I do in the past couple of weeks, we've had like one machine, like do something horrific in China, another one, what, what, one of the, one of the drones and one of the Amazon things like b- broke open bear repellent and like they had to evacuate everybody like it feels like skynet's waking up and is testing its testing its ability to like torture us all and and i don't think there's anything more horrific uh that i've seen than the um the the amazon holiday ad with all the singing boxes and i think someone someone like took like i don't know what the the inception music or something like that and like synced it to it and it was perfect and it was so ominous it's just all these boxes are coming for us and they're going to destroy us all and and there's there's a flip side like i i talk about this with folks sometimes about um you know there's something there's something good to the artisanal economy i mean as we we're, we're in silver lake right now right the, i mean the, the, we the, are at the heart of the very, artisanal very yeah. if only we were in williamsburg is the only way we could be more so but this idea of of putting value back on like the human craft mm-hmm. um and that that becomes the only thing that's valuable and, and, and when commodities are lowered when the prices on commodities are lowered does nothing then like the only thing valuable is the labor right so mm-hmm. there's something good to that but there is this weird, there's this drive in 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 the way the the economy and the culture works itself. Where, yeah, it's it's really about can the machines? I, I think about like all of the all of the websites that are just scraping other websites in order to create clickbait versions of articles from elsewhere in order to load up enough ads in this grand circle where you're like who's actually making money on this and like no values being created, but they've just got to find some way to like play the Google algorithm just right mm-hmm. to like, Oh, we, we, we grifted $10,000 off of Google today by scraping random websites and getting bots to click on it. And it just seems like this is the height of human <laughs> endeavor. Like wh- why there are better things to do, you know, who, who coded that? There's, there's no question there. There's just mass frustration at how weird all this is. You might as well be putting like toast on a giant sentient stick of butter. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. It, it would actually make more sense, and at least that creates joy when you do it. Joy for the butter and joy for you. Um. Where, where? So right now. VVR is pretty much out for everything, I guess, mm-hmm. except for PlayStation, right? Is mm-hmm. like the only thing. Yep, and that will be a few months from now. All right, so soon, if you if you have access to whether it's a Daydream or Oculus Go or a Samsung Gear VR or a Vive um, or a, or a anything, anything, you can get VVR, and I think you should if you if you have any of those devices. Um, Tendar, mm-hmm. right now, just the Google. Um, we do want to bring it to iOS, um, and we can. It's just a matter of um, 
we're a small, you know, I mean, we're oh, yeah. a small team, so it's a matter of a bandwidth in order to, to, to port it over. Um, but, you know, hopefully in the, the near future. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the nice thing. I mean, the nice thing about the work you do is so unique that it, it, it lasts. Like I remember the gap between me being able to get VVR because I, I didn't have like anything more than like a go. And when I had first seen it, it was like a couple of years, mm-hmm. but the second I had it, I was like, Oh, I know what I'm doing. So, uh, because just the, when someone first told me, I mean, literally when I was, I think I was at, uh, VRLA and someone said, Oh, you're going to see it. It's like, you know, it's like, it's, it's a joke about this and like you're, you're inside virtual reality. But I was like, Oh God, really? Like we're already at the point where we're making meta jokes about it. I was like, there's nothing lazier than meta. And then I did it. I was like, this is so good. Cause usually, usually meta stuff is, is can feel really sophomore ish. Cause it's mm-hmm. the first thing everyone thinks to do. It's like, let's criticize. But when it's done right, it's just, it's breathtaking. Um, because people, people don't usually think it all the way through. And that's something I really appreciated about VVR is that like this really, there's a real thinking it through and just, and taking it to that, that flip around extreme where it's like, oh, you're working for, you're working for the AIs and you've got to keep on going through just the process of like, oh, put the, the, the VR thing on and then how deep down the rabbit hole can you go? And this, this sort of wonderful sense of disorientation to the point when like you finally do take your headset off in reality for, for, that, for that half a second, you're like, wait, no, okay, yes, right? Which is, which is only usually, that only happens when you get really, really, really deep down the rabbit hole in, in VR. You still, at least for me anymore, like the first couple of times it was always like, Oh, this is yeah. funny. And then it goes away cause you're used to it. But like if, if, if the world is good or if you're really down the rabbit hole, um, Thank you. yeah. Okay. Well then, yeah. I mean, I could probably pepper you with questions forever, but we have this for 45 minutes. So might as well. Um, is there anything, is there anything about work you have coming up uh with this or anything people should be on the on the lookout for this will go out before the end of the year mm-hmm. so um yeah so uh this uh september is out and we're super excited that um you know it's on android and eric working with air core has been really um great it's um newer phones that can support air core probably in the last few years uh we're doing a large narrative um push and content update in january and then we're working with um, Oculus on a new project that should be announced soon. Um, and there's a few other things, hopefully, down the road. All right. So, yeah. Well, good. Samantha, thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Once again, I want to thank our guest, Samantha Gorman, who is the co-founder of Tender Claws, uh, the virtual and augmented reality uh, digital studio. I don't even know how to refer to things anymore these days. They're cool. Samantha and Danny have a very cool company, is, is what it comes down to. And they're they're like not far from my neighborhood, <laughs> which is probably the best part. I was like, this building? I've walked by this building a thousand times. Um, that would that was that was that was one of the that was that was cool that was fun uh, i have like memories in front of their building um and now i have new memories from being inside the building 
and it was anyway I'm not gonna start talking about like all inside like it's this no no we we don't need to go there Hey, um, I talked a lot at the start of the show. You know to come to No Pro Live here in Los Angeles. That's going to be a, a good time. Um, there's uh, there's everything immersive this week. Um, the Roomscape Artists kids have uh, their Patreon going. We got our Patreon going. Uh, IDS is coming up. Um, you know, stuff is rolling out from IDS right now. Uh, there's, there's more to talk about in, in terms of that, but, um, it's, it's the weekend before, um, Christmas holiday week. Uh, I'm off from the day job. I got some freelance stuff I got to go do though. So no, no rest for the weary. Um, and yeah, uh, expect a low volume week from us. There's no North American coming out. Um, you know, we, we've got a couple, I've got, uh, the Polly's polymers, uh, review that I will get out. Uh, but I am delivering some other stuff for other people. So, um, also the gang gets to go, you know, have lives. Um, we are pooling up, uh, for, um, we're staffing up for 2019 right now. Uh, we've got some folks coming in to help out with the North American. Uh, if you're, you know, really, if you're anywhere, if you're anywhere and uh, reviewing stuff or being part of the process is something of interest to you, uh, we are restructuring in such a way that that's going to be more possible for us. Um, that includes uh, uh, here's here's a bit of news. Um, so Kevin Gossett, who's been uh, our lead reviewer uh, in LA for, uh, the back half of this year. Uh, I am, uh, I asked him to step in and become the, uh, LA reviews editor. So Kevin is going to take over, uh, running the, the reviews side of the shop here in LA that frees me up to work on features and kind of, kind of do, do the, 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 publisher stuff <laughs> that I need to do. Catherine's still running in managing editor. Anthony is uh, going to be doing some culture editing stuff. And we're expanding the team even like internationally. So that's kind of where the focus is at the moment, uh, just to get more better stuff coming through. Um, yeah, there. More on that next week. Uh, I should got to write everybody and tell everybody we did that. <laughs> I'm, I'm just playing catch up uh, and I need a nap. So on that note, uh, I'm going to not go take a nap. I'm going to go drive to the Bay Area. So uh, and. Yeah, uh, there's yeah more more later more later. Let's do the credits. The music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. The sustaining backers of No Persinium are Jan Budman, Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Mark Balthazar, Sam Kinkin, and Ross Sigworth. Um, you can find us at nopersinium.com, which has the links to all the other things, the newsletters, the podcast. Um, you can find us on the No Pro Slack. Um, that, which is a really great place to connect with us, particularly if, if you're someone who's like, there's a lot of people who are like going, I'm done with Facebook. Cause we're at another one of those inflection points where, you know, like some percentage of people leave Facebook. And if you're a member of the everything immersive community and you're like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. then come join us on the Slack. Um, it's, it's a, it's a good, good substitute for it. Uh, but also if you're still on Facebook, everything immersive, right? There you go. Um, all right. That's enough. I hope you have a very, 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 very good last week of the year. Until next time, I'll see you at the show. 